Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a chartered chat chock full of chuckling and chirpiness because it's true, the chaps achieved it, we are champions. Joining me and Punt to look back on the week that got us over the line is Hannah and Matthew McGregor. Reading at home now lives long in the memory, like Villa away last time and Sunderland away 15, 16 years ago, as one of those where were you moments. So, Matthew, where were you? I was at home watching on Zoom with some friends. It's nothing nothing compared to last time when I was in the stadium for the Blackburn game. Um, it, it really isn't the same, but at least I had the satisfaction of knowing that everybody was in the same boat. And, um, uh, you know, it was, it was a relief that it was um, nice and easy in the end because I think being so distanced, if it had got tense, it would have been pretty hard, but um, it was an easy one in the end. I think that's an interesting point, actually, because I'm actually precisely the opposite in a way. I'm uh, had it, the fact that it was such a procession, it meant that my mind wandered more and I started thinking more. And to be fair, the commentators did as well. I started thinking more earlier than I otherwise would have done. Oh, we really should be there. Why am I not there? Whereas in the first half, when it was by far, far from a cakewalk, I actually wasn't quite as aware that oh this is the game that of all the games I should really be there what do you think John in terms of us being there yeah I mean it was probably the celebrations afterwards uh, I I was much like Matthew I watched it on the sofa or there was there was some controversy about whether I was going to be relegated upstairs to to watch it but that that was soon dismissed um and then when you know when it got to after the game it was like shit we really should be there and they were playing all the the kind of playlist that you traditionally um, here when when a club has, has sealed the title and that's when it really kicked in and I just thought yeah we should all be there and it's not very nice that we are and as much as this season's been amazing in so many ways you know, the fact that we weren't there is is gonna underline it isn't it really but um but yeah I, th- I thought in terms of the performance Reading were it was it was really typical to you know in terms of this season that actually there was a spirited performance from the away side, um, they looked very good. They looked up for it in the first half. I thought Reading probably shaded it in the first half. And, you know, kind of I thought, OK, we're really in a game here. And it was either that Norwich weren't on it or Reading were really up for the task or a combination of both. And then inevitably, we just find a formula and we outwork the teams. And then actually they're so knackered because they're, they're playing at an intensity that actually, that you know, they can't maintain for 90 minutes. Um and then Norwich find a way. And then, you know, it, it, we steamrolled them, didn't we? And we looked really, really good. And, you know, Todd was in the mood. Kieran Dow was, you know, kind of absolutely on it. And, um, yeah, it's brilliant. So, Hannah, you, you've just rewatched the game, um, having actually been at work when, when the game was going out. So you, you've probably got the clearest memory of, of how things panned out. That second half performance, what, what do you think it was that, that really made the difference in the end as, as, as we kicked into that additional gear? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to, I feel like often with our performances this season, it's been hard to sometimes put your finger on a, on a material change or I, I, I think it's often, there isn't a kind of obvious tactical switch or anything like that, but it seems to work quite often that after half time, which is interesting because I think it's been a criticism for before, isn't it, that he kind of doesn't seem to, or previously he hadn't seemed to be able to change games much at half time, And I feel like that's been totally the opposite this season. And he's really, whatever he's saying and whatever he is doing, um, 
during the break seems to be having a real effect and they just seem to come out with a different with a renewed kind of focus and energy and and I think they said that after the game didn't they that they just sort of thought right we need to we need to just get the get the job done now we need to step up the gear um and you could just see that so visibly I, I don't yeah I'm not sure if there was a a specific kind of way that they decided to uh to do that but you could you could definitely see it was so tangible and I thought that was that was really interesting this has been a season I think of different levels and different gears and maybe more so than the um than the the, the previous Farkball uh, champions uh, winning winning season two years ago whereby we seemed to leave things very very late and it kind of would go to a crescendo in most games Whereas this season we, we've we've done some very very clear dominant first halves, dominant second halves. Okay, we're going to do twenty minutes now, score three goals and kill the game. Matthew, is there anything that you think we can lean into um, going into next season where we can continue to try and play that game way, or, or do you think we we need to almost revert to type and try and have a complete game plan because the, the teams we're going to be playing are going to be too good for us to just turn it on when we feel like we want to. Well, I think we need to buy, but apart from that, um, I think the the key difference between next season and the last Premier League season is that I think this team knows itself so much better. Eighteen nineteen felt a little bit like uh, a team that's just learning new skills and, and just went hell for leather at all times to get the wins, whereas this season's felt so much more controlled at all times that they understand when there is another gear to go into. They know how to go into it. They can see where the gaps are on the field and and, and support each other and um, talk to each other. There's a great moment uh, recently. Max uh, was uh, uh, um, dragging out um, Amabana. Bamadeli for not being loud enough and uh, you know something you wouldn't have maybe seen two years ago um it's just a small example of this team being so much more in control of themselves so I think you know we'll still be the underdogs next season but the the structure the the foundations of this team feel so much so much stronger going into next season even though the the personnel isn't dramatically different Okay, Pontinio, take us through it. And what was the best of the four goals, or rather, your favourite of the four goals that sealed the the championship for us? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Because actually, I really, I was so so pleased when Pookie kind of smashed his in from. Actually, looking at it back, just just a talking point, the defender could have got back there. He just <laughs> gave up. I don't know if anyone saw that, but it's just like, oh, he's going to tap it in. Oh, yeah. no, he's not. And actually, Timo just walked it in. And I think if he'd have made a concerted effort, but it, it was more the fact that Pookie had got his goal because last maybe two, three, four games, he hasn't necessarily been off the boil. He's been working really, really hard in terms of channels. He's been bringing people into play really, really well. Um, he's looked like he's on it apart from the finishing, you know, and he missed four, five, six, maybe, you know, kind of presentable chances, which would have had him up there with, you know, kind of Tony in terms of the um, the top scorers in the league. So I was really pleased that he got his goal. In terms of finesse, I'd probably take um, Dow second. And it's really nice that that was probably the clincher that, it, right, we're there. It, it, it feels comfortable now. But it was, you know, Toddy's little chip in, which took a fair bit of vision and then precision to to do that. And then the finish from Dow, he shouldn't be able to score from there. But, you know, it was just a little bit of bend on it. it yeah, it, it was fantastic. On the Pookie goal, he, he'd, there was a slight glance over the shoulder 
um, <clears throat> at the point where I think it was after kind of his second touch in the area. Um, and I think it was that little glance where he thought, oh, okay, I'm not about to be taken out. Where I think had the defender been mid-flight about to scythe him, he would have just side-footed it in. Mm. Um, but I think there was a little bit of, I've been missing chances and I'm, I'm going to hammer this to, to, to make sure. Um, what, what about you, Hannah? What would you say was the, the most gorgeous of the goals? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd, I'd probably agree. I'd probably go with that second one. But I did also really like the free kick. Um because it was so beautifully executed. But also, I just really like Javi Cantillo. I think he seems like a really um, good addition to the, to the squad and a really good player to have around and a really good character to have around. You know, everyone seems to really, really like him. I think you saw that uh, at the weekend and um, on his other, after he scored his other goal before, you know, everyone was just so pleased for him. Um, and I love seeing things like that because it does, it, you know, it just shows you... Well, I think everyone likes to think about their team and hopes about their team that they're very, you know, very together and everyone gets along and they're all friends. <laughs> um, uh, but that does actually seem like that's that's the case. And he in particular, yeah, seems to be really popular in the group. Emmy, I think, uh, seems to be his, his kind of best mate. And yeah, I, I just, I, I thought that was a really good reward for him for, for this little cameo that he's been able to have at the end of the season. It's, it's just nice to see him um, get a couple of goals out of it. Do you think there's any chance that they do try and get something done for him, Matthew? I mean, presumably, had we have lowered the number of appearances he had to make to to make it a a permanent move after the loan, it would have been a cheaper deal. And and now he's he's come in, he scored a couple of important goals and looked looked good. Presumably, the asking price is going to be higher. If you'd asked that a couple of couple of weeks ago, I'd have said no chance at all. But the way that they've celebrated these goals makes it seem that he's a really, really um, respected and valued member of the dressing room. And, um, I mean, they've just been all over him for both of those goals. And it's it was, I mean, like Hannah says, just really, really lovely to see. But more than that makes you feel like, you know, they, they, they do care about the team chemistry, the squad chemistry. And if he was willing to, um, uh, you know, compete for that place with Yanoulis, I think that, it makes sense. Um, it's not a ton of money. I, can't, I think it, it's not. I, I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's not. It's not a, a huge amount of of money. And if he is willing to compete and probably play um, back up to to Yunulis, uh, uh, for a while, I think it makes a ton of sense. I, I think it would be. I think it's about two and a half million, something like that. I mean, that's a bargain. Yeah, I mean, even if they doubled it, to be honest, five million for for what would be you would be happy if he ended up being first choice. Um, but but today's market, in inverted commas, um, anyone who's go, who you genuinely wouldn't be disappointed if he was the guy that played more than half of your games at left back, I, th- I think most Premier League clubs would expect to pay at least four or five, if not more, million for for, for him. And and what a one-two punch! Bearing in mind you've got the best left back at the club, Sorensen, um, who can slot in whenever whenever you need to. <laughs> so no, I, it's it's an interesting one to see what they do there because they are really big on glue guys. I mean, look at look at McGovern's um, extended contract. I, mean, I know he's going to move mm. into slightly more of a co- coaching role. You know, th- this whole no dickheads policy and 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 having the right people that get the culture that they see that as really important. And whilst they're not sentimental, they do capitalise when enough of the kind of rest of the picture makes sense and just on that point Hannah about celebrating goals um just thinking back through the season I think we have seen that a few times um maybe more this season than two seasons ago and it might be the fact that with no fans 
they are a bit more into as a group. Maybe they are celebrating with each other a bit more. I remember the Skippy's goal. There seemed to be far, even though that was a you know that took us from two one to three one, if, if I remember rightly, um, or two nil to th- whatever it was. It made the game that much safer. Um, in the context of the game. But there was a real exodus over to the corner to celebrate with him. And I think it was a kind of uh, a realisation that this lad really deserves to at least celebrate one goal this season because of kind of, kind of the shift we've put in. Um, any others kind of jump out to you, Punt, with regards to, to when things were celebrated, maybe a bit more because of who it was? Um, not so much. I think there was a bit of a clamour around Hugh Gill when, when he kind of got his first goals for the club and he's clearly a you know kind of a really well regarded member of the group he's, he's clearly an absolute Actually, maniac that's he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, I mean, he's yeah, clearly there's... just someone who you i don't know if any of you guys saw <clears throat> the the cooking thing that him and tim cruel did yeah did you I see did. that it was <laughs> yes. I, I, genuinely i you know bless the club i love their efforts at i love their efforts at, at content at the best of times but I, I was just watching that just watching hugo and i just thought Put him. I would watch him read the phone book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You just think but he's, he's just got one of those personalities. He's really he's just, you just think I I like, I want to I want to spend time with you. Like you just seem like a great human. And I think the club are conscious of that because they they very often put in put him in those kinds of videos. Don't they? I think there was a guess who one that he was playing with like Max Aaron's and it, it was all a bit bizarre. But it was funny. He's genuinely he seems like a guy as you say you'd maybe want to go for a beer with or you know he's um he's an engaging chap and. It was really nice for him that I think he got those moments when he scored his goals because they were his appearances were were few and far between. So I'm I'm glad that he was mobbed. There there wasn't really many other ones. I mean, to be fair, it's predominantly been um, Buendia and, and Pookie that have scored most of the goals. I can't think that we've had many other goal scorers apart from Campwell and Dowell and and that's your lot. I don't know yeah, who that, else has scored goals. Yeah, and I, I think I, it was one of those things where I I say to a, to someone on the podcast, "What do you think of this?" And as I'm finishing the question, I'm thinking, "I wouldn't know how to answer this." Uh, Cheers, which, mate. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> tell me what I did think. I thought today when I was watching back the game and the celebrations, and everything, and they. I mean, I don't know if this is a really obvious observation or uh, not that remarkable, but I did think it was interesting how every single player went round to every single other player. Like you could see them making a real concerted effort to go through the whole squad and to have their little moment and, you know, have their little hug and kind of congratulate each other. And um, and you saw Farka doing it too. And I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe that that's something all teams do when, when they're celebrating promotion or the title or whatever. But I think it was just really interesting to, to see that play out on the, on the pitch. Um, and it was very sweet. Well, let's, <laughs> I really yeah. enjoyed Tim Krull leading the chance outside the stadium for Oliver Skip to to oh, come yeah. back next year. Yeah, mm. so let, let's let's touch on touch on that. So I'm uh, we we now don't have any moral high ground when it comes to um, uh, gatherings uh, that, that don't quite fit the the current tier or the current um, safety regulations. Um, I, you know, I completely understand if you if you live close to or have easy access to the ground. I get, I get the pull and the desire to to have wanted to go go and do that. Um, but part of me did part of me did think, yeah, but we sh- you shouldn't be doing that. Um, it, you know, I don't know if that makes me an Uber 
uh, Grinch. And, and you know, I'm not casting any aspersions on those that took part. And it looks good from a content point of view. And I'm pleased for the players in a way that it happened because they've been so starved, that interaction. And I think a couple of the lads have mentioned it in interviews in the last couple of games, saying, you know, the ball hits the back of the net. I think Max Aaron said, Aaron said that when he slides in and he expects a round of applause and he doesn't get one. Did, does anyone else think I'm... You know, I mean, I'm not, by the way, I'm not in any way surprised it happened, but did anyone else similar to me just have something at the back of their mind that thought it shouldn't be there, shouldn't be doing that? I would, I would, I don't live in Norwich, but I wouldn't have gone if, if I did. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you kind of, you know, people have to take personal choices. Things are easing. We don't get championships that often. Um, so I'm not. I don't want to condemn anybody, but I, I personally wouldn't have gone, and I was a bit surprised that the players did make as much of it outside the ground as they as they did. I think there's been a trend throughout a lot of other clubs. Though, have you seen those scenes at Ajax today? I think it was today, or it was over the weekend. Mm. They've just won the league. It, it is. I mean, you're talking probably. I don't know if you've seen it, Hannah. You know, twenty thousand people there at least. You know, maybe ten thousand people on the streets, and then they're kind of looking over the balcony to them, and there's flares and and all sorts going on, and it looks great from a you know visuals point of view but actually you know that could be um could be a super spreader event i'm pretty much with you matthew i think that um but then maybe it's if you look at it and you look at the kind of crowd that was assembled it it was predominantly young people and when i was 21 i thought i was indestructible i didn't think you know anything would happen to me if you know kind of if i just cracked on whereas you know i'm in my 40s now and i'm you know perhaps a bit older and not necessarily wiser but you know perhaps a bit more cautious um, so yeah, I mean, it, I don't, I wouldn't have gone personally. I wasn't too bothered by it, to be honest. I think, I mean, especially in the scale of thing. I mean, you mentioned that the, the Ajax celebrations, and I think compared to what we've seen at a lot of clubs, that was a really minor crowd, a really mm. minor gathering. Um, didn't last very long. It was in quite a small, specific place, um, and yeah, I. I I think it was understandable and it was it was nice it was nice to see um the players have that moment it was nice to see Fark have that moment that because that was one of the things I felt really sad when I watched the celebrations when I saw like Max um and Todd I think were sitting out on the pitch and that was I mean obviously I've thought about it this this season already and, and been sad about the fact that we can't um see these players and if it's potentially their last games for us and, and all of that kind of thing I felt sad about sad about it before, but it really kind of hit me in a new way seeing them, seeing them just by themselves in this empty stadium. And um, so, you know, I I I'm glad they had that that little moment. I mean, that was something, even if it's not um, obviously not what you would you would want them uh, to be able to experience. I think that's a lovely point, Hannah. Uh, you know, in terms of especially Max and Todd, because they are two. I think Todd will stay, but I think Max is is gone. You know, and all the media noises are that he's gone. But those two are perhaps the ones that were singled out. You'd think by that Stuart Weber interview where he came out and said about you know lads sit, sitting crying on the pitch, and those two were both sat on the pitch, kind of looking at their phones, almost in a daze. Like this has just happened. This is brilliant, but there's no fans. But there was kind of a really nice symmetry to if that is their last game for the club, they've kind of put right what went wrong last season. So I thought that was that was quite lovely. But just just to reiterate what I said, kind of introducing the point, I do think it's worth talking about. And I felt conflicted about it because, as I, as I said, 
I, I didn't begrudge the players it and I'm pleased for them that they had some kind of interaction and I'm the same as you punt I've got well I had, I've got someone at home who was shielding prior to their vaccinations you know and was on the uber be careful list all last year so we were practicing be proper careful so I I, I do lean more conservative in terms of the um in terms of how I've handled everything through the pandemic, I just thought there was just an element. Can we just clip that out and just say you lean more conservative? Uh, just to wind well, up. You, you can certainly try, but one that would mean <laughs> that one that would mean you would have to do your first bit of editing or effort around that part of the podcast <laughs> in the three years we've done it. <laughs> so it's not happening. And two, um, you'd also have to then be battling against a lot of the other content I've put out <laughs> to, <laughs> for that to seem like it would actually hold anyway. But no, I I I just think it's I get the spot spontaneity of it and I and, and in a way I I'm pleased for everyone who did who did did go um but I, I just wanted to put it out there as a talking point that they, they put yourself in the other place uh, other fans and other clubs who go oh we, we wouldn't do that if, if it was us and you think well you, you haven't actually won anything this this year so you're not sure about that I mean on the Ajax point I mean, they really do win that league every five minutes. So yeah. I'm, I'm not sure they couldn't have waited a few months uh, for a party. Um, but anyway, cool. So yeah, it's it's fantastic to get over the line, um, and it's it's been it's been superb as, as a run. We're gonna we're gonna cover off, um, do a proper season review and respective once the Barnsley game's out of the way. So one thing I did want to touch on tonight. Um, this is this is the Monday night that we're recording this, uh, dear listener. Um, the, the social media blackout. So. You know, we're joining the Premier League at a tumultuous time. Um, Clays of protests in the aftermath of the Super League nonsense. Um, and obviously this weekend, all respectable football outlets were observing a social media kind of posting blackout. So, so let's start there. Uh, um, Matthew, do you do you think, let me rephrase that. What do you think might be achieved, Matthew, from, from this weekend? Well, I mean, I think the the first thing that's been achieved is uh, you kind of broken through that line that the football authorities will take meaningful action to um, stand up for um, black players and and um, supporters of colour. It's the first time they've done something that's really meaningful. This will have made an impact on you know content and content production and engagement is important for. You know, football as a business, as well as football as a support, as a support, and so having a, a complete blackout for the weekend is is meaningful action. So they've broken through that line that that they've they've stuck to bland statements and getting players to wear t-shirts on the pitch and all of these other kind of things that just haven't made any, uh, 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 you know, have not really been meaningful. So the fact they've broken through that line, I think, is a, is a good start and should be applauded. I do also think that social media companies are really, really nervous about this. Uh, Facebook and Instagram have taken a whole range of different actions over the course of the last month. Nowhere near enough, but they've taken... Uh, real, uh, they've made real changes to the platform in in terms of how um, uh, direct messages work, in terms of um, uh, 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 how they monitor and keep people banned once they've had their accounts deleted. Um, those are changes that they could have made in the past and didn't, and um, will cost them money um, to do now. And it's not nearly enough, but the fact that those changes are happening show just how scared they are. Um, they're much, much, much more scared of football players than they are of politicians. Um, but this is also coming at a time when politicians are taking a, a, a serious look at 
legislation in this area. The online harms bill will be published probably just after the Queen's speech. So it'll be announced in the Queen's speech in a couple of weeks' time and then published in the autumn. And and that bill should, uh, looks like it probably will, include a whole range of really tough measures against social media companies, including um, holding executives of social media companies personally responsible. Social media executives could be fined personally for uh, failures in this area. So it, it does feel like there is some momentum with the government we've got and with the uh, the football authorities that we've, we've had. Um, it's easy to be cynical, and I'm still pretty cynical, but I'm quite encouraged by this weekend. I think that the action that got taken was, was meaningful if it was the first step of many. And I think social media companies are absolutely bricking it. And when they're worried about their bottom line is when change starts to happen. Do you think it might be a case, Hannah, that this becomes a regular thing? Um, because, <clears throat> you know, looking at some of the empty gestures um, and, and some of those that are aimed to be more meaningful but aren't necessarily like kick it out and the pride weekend stuff that you feel that maybe is kind of a bit more box ticky and and doesn't really have as much impact do you think maybe we might see a a monthly or a quarterly or you know some kind of regular thing where we say well actually we're going to turn off what feeds you which is your ad revenue so we're going to reduce the amount of posts we're putting out there regularly to, to try and send a message um, I don't know. I don't know if it would. I don't know if it would be as effective as a regular thing. Um, but I do think that it is just kind of the first step. Um, I mean, Matt just explained really well as, as to why it's a very it's a good first step and why it will have an impact. Um, but I have, you know, I've seen a lot of people say, "Oh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna solve anything. It's not gonna, you know, fix fix these issues." And no, it isn't. Of course, it isn't. Um, it's because that's going to take a lot, a lot more work and a lot more effort, and it's a complicated, um, it's a complicated thing, and it requires cooperation from from these companies that is hard to, uh, that is hard to get, but. Um, but I do think, it, yeah, it's a good first step, and I think that um, it it can lead to to other things, to other actions. I think if we see that this does has have an impact, which hopefully it will, um, and yeah, I think hopefully it will. I mean, I've just written about how I think there's kind, there's kind of a correlation between this and between what we've seen over the last couple of weeks with the European Super League and the fan protests and things like that. Um, you know, if you think that that collective action can't achieve anything, then <laughs> I don't know what to tell you because it quite clearly clearly has um, in football recently. I mean, this weekend, you know, we saw fans get a, get a match called off. So, if you think that this this kind of collective action online doesn't have an impact, then then you're wrong. Um, and yeah, I hope that it's it's the first um, action of of many i don't know if this specific sort of protest will happen again or if maybe it will happen again and become a more permanent thing like we've seen um with thierry Henry, you know totally removing himself from the platforms i wonder if more people will take that step um rather than it just being a, a brief temporary thing it relies on um, that the issue with that though Anna, is that it things like this weekend relies on people um, getting over the self-publication, self-publicizing, um, self-aggrandizing 
addiction that social media is and and um not everyone has been able to step away for the weekend for for mental health reasons and and um whilst you completely respect um people's need to lean into the sense of community um where they need that um you know it's it's important that people don't take the opportunity to try and um almost monetize the, the audience and, and monetize conversation i think what might be interesting as we go through the remainder of this week and into next week is there will be people starting to flood back online people starting to see who posted what that there might be some interesting um how how brands because you know i work in, in in digital a lot of the time um so are, there, there will be think pieces and, and anyone who works in, in in marketing or in digital and online in any way and, and you yourself Hannah, will know this there'll be people who will say, well, who won the, the, the blackout? You know, who, who, who managed it best? Who's first tweet back or who's first, you know, who, who was the most respectful? Because there is that kind of competition thing. And to a certain degree, that's what we saw with the Super League. You know, we saw the momentum you can have when when that needle moves to, oh, hang on, the zeitgeist has changed. Now the, the, all of the goodies are saying this, um, so even some of us baddies are going to have to jump on the goodie train because this is left the station and there's no slowing it down. I, I hope it goes in that favour. I hope that it becomes a... Uh, you know, it, it goes like a zero tolerance of of the things that we've, that, you know, ACN haven't been hasn't been posting over the weekend, um, and and you know, far bigger publications uh, and much more important publications than us haven't been posting this weekend. Um, the reason that that was taking place, I'm hoping that it's a similar thing to the Super League that it's such a drastic step that momentum grows and grows to the extent that even people who would normally describe stuff like this as woke decide that they can't possibly be seen to be on the wrong side of this um because they're 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 on to, to a loser what do you think punt yeah i mean i think um you've all really eloquently you know kind of summed up the way in well, which even i me. feel about this situation yeah even you you know thomas and and i think you know it's a very rare day that that you do that but well played but you know i think to summarize in my head, there was a worrying trend of the abuse that footballers were receiving, and not just footballers, other sports stars as well, but you know, the abuse that they were receiving was from a younger generation, a generation that, that should be more educated in these types of things and, and has grown up in more of a multicultural environment that, you know, I think most of us want to see. This is you know, we want to be a, an outward looking Britain that that embraces diversity and the fact that there was youngsters you know kind of doing this and that the bit that, that slightly worries me is that the people you know because let's be really honest like i've had a glance at it i haven't posted personally but I, i've had a glance at, at what's going on, on on twitter um you know just out of uh, sheer curiosity it seems to predominantly be the younger audience that are still there it still predominantly seems to be brands that cater for the younger audiences that are still there um, and as you say, Tom, maybe that that's about the fact that you know their their business model is is slightly different. Look, I'm not I'm not going to judge anyone um, because I don't think it's my part to do that. You know, if if you if you chose not to take part, then that's that's absolutely your prerogative. But in my mind, you know, kind of taking you know kind of inaction just wasn't acceptable because you know we're we're really beyond the pale now in, in terms of how much of this of a problem this is. Um, so personally. I observed it. 
I felt like it was really important that Long Come Norwich observed it. And I'm really pleased that a lot of other people have observed it as well, because as you say, Tom, I think this, this short, sharp shock and, you know, kind of that, that goes with the Super League stuff as well. That's, that's happened recently in the Glazer protests might just, you know, kind of signal some better change that's going to come out of the game, which would be brilliant. What's interesting is I, um, so I, you just said you had a sneak and looked what was going on. It fell at a really difficult time for me, <clears throat> as I've mentioned before in this podcast, and it bores punt to tears, but um, NFL is my, you know, second love. Um, and as a sport, I prefer it overall. I think it's a better run sport than football. Um, but with regards to this weekend, it was the drafts, which is, you know, one of the pinnacle moments of the year. So it's very difficult to to keep up across all of the 32 different teams and all the picks and what have you. So I was using social media from an NFL point of view, um, but I didn't post anything and I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't getting involved. So it's really, it was interesting because I felt when I was consuming content, I felt guilty. I thought, oh, hang on, I've. This is really interesting because I, I've got I've got like a split social media persona, like I think a lot of us have, where I've got my football ACN stuff over here, then I've got my politics stuff over here, and and I've got my my kind of NFL and music and different pots, and it felt like it was a football kind of blackout this weekend, um, and I I I just think that football is a really football is is almost unique in a way that when and, and i think marcus rashford is an example of this when something happens within football or when football gets involved and there was a few people that said oh you know there's lots of memes and things a couple of weeks ago with the, with the super league around oh if you if you annoy football twitter then all of a sudden things get changed you know oh you know that the, the government takes x months to solve y problem but then as soon as you know this comes up all of a sudden you know they 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 they're starting talking about legislation left right center but i think that whilst that was kind of a glib remark I think that is a there, there is there's some truth to that. It's like well, you know, because if if you if you're if you come up with something that is a that that most of the football community goes nah, sorry, not having that, you're in trouble in this country. And 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 how how odd, but relatively likely it might be Matthew bringing you back in on this. Might it be football? that actually turns the tide against some of these social media giants to actually take more responsibility because we we are because there's just so many of us that are aligned by not the same colors or the same chance but we share so much of a similar passion around a particular thing that once we all agree on a topic that is too big a section of the community that can make too much noise about it or or is that me romanticizing football no i think that's exactly right i don't think that's romantic at all i think that um um power in in a in a in a country is affected by the culture of the country and in this country football is um a really dominant factor in where culture goes um especially you know now as 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 culture gets more diffuse and um, we're not consuming it in in as in as collective a way as we used to maybe 30 years ago football is one of the few remaining um strands of culture that that can bring a a really really large number of people together and if football collectively from the players and the um you know the people in power in football and then through the fans says we collectively are not 
happy about X or Y, whether it's uh, the, the free uh, uh, school meals during summer holidays or whether it's about racism on, on social media, that has a really big impact because a culture shift in a country will ultimately le- lead to a, a power shift, whether that's influence over social media because they're worried about their bottom line or influence over legislation because politicians are worried about uh, where their votes are coming from. Culture is a, a driver of change and football is a big driver of culture. So, I mean, I, I do think that we're only at the very like early stages of this. And if it all sort of fades away and football says, right, we've done our bit now, we had our weekend and job done, then nothing will change. But if this is the start of a drive to use the impact of football to make change as it should, as, as they should do, I think it could, I think it could make meaningful change. A meaningful difference. Barnsley away, Hannah. Is it going to be a case of Xavi, Teti, Rancic to start? Oh, playing all the hits. Um, I no, I I don't think Farker's going to do that. If that's what you're asking, um, I think he's going to play it very straight, very serious. He's going to want to get another win. Of course, he is. I think they all will. Um, you know, we can't get 100 points now, but 99 points is still pretty good, isn't it? Uh, and so I can't see any major changes. Um, I think Janulis is available, isn't he, for this one? But I think Kintia might keep that left-back spot. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be same same team go again. I don't know if Teti and Vrancic will get, get a bit more time maybe in the second half, depending on what's what's happening. Um, but it'll be a tricky game as well. You know, you know what Barnsley can do. They've been so um, surprising, but so so good, so entertaining uh, this season or in the last few months. Um, and and they're dangerous. So I don't think Farker's going to. There's not going to be any kind of weakening of the of the side or kind of complacency. I don't think. I think it's going to be, um, yeah, head down, go for it. You mentioned, you mentioned 99 points there. Just something I noticed when I was looking at the table. If Reading failed to beat Huddersfield and we win, we will finish 30 points ahead of Reading in seventh place. 30 <laughs> points. Like, it's just unbelievable, the gap to seventh for, for, from us. Um, and, and also, again, I, I know I keep banging this drum, but after Reading starts the season, how have they missed the playoffs? Unreal. What was it seven wins and a draw or something in the first eight? Um, so yeah, okay. So punt. You, Hannah's saying it's not going to be sentimental club. Surely you're expecting to see Mario and and and, and Teti pull on the shirt and start. Surely. Mm, I'm I'm kind of expecting Teti to start um, because purely because Skip went off injured and was in a protective boot, and then I think that it would just be really easy to just go. Do you know what? There you go, Tets. Here's 90 minutes, time to say goodbye. Um, and yeah, so so it's that's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? That you're saying goodbye on one hand to um to a wonderful servant for this football club. And you know, I've waxed lyrical about that on the last pod, um, that I'm gonna be really sad. Probably as sad as any player to you know, kind of to leave. I'm I'm gonna be just be so gutted to see Alex Tetty go because, you know, as a human, he just epitomizes what what Norwich City Football Club are. Um but on the flip side of that, we're not going to sit, get to say goodbye to Oliver Skip potentially because he's injured. And I really hope, and I'm sure he will, he will travel with the group and, and he'll get to lift the championship trophy as well because 
he's just been such an integral part of this team and you know and absolutely deserved um to come third in the in the Barry Butler rankings and if we oh, you just want 12 months more of him don't you because he's just been so good this season and um I think we talked about it last uh, we talked about it recently about taking players out and and what would have the impact have been had we not had them this season and I think Skip is probably only second for me behind Emmy in terms of if, you, if you'd have plucked him out of the side I don't think this would have been as much of a canter as it has been. He's been just tremendous. No, he'd have only gone up champions by one point instead of the eight, yeah, potentially yeah. 11. But, you know, yeah, no, or, completely. I mean, it would have been a lot closer. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think you're completely right. I, I do think um, Hanley is, is is not far behind that um, mm-hmm. b- because of the, the solidity that he's he, he's bought. Um, looking at Barnsley, Matthew, they, they can't really improve their position. Um, you know they're they're going to be uh, going away in the, the playoffs in the first leg. Um, there is an outs. Uh, well, realistically, they they can't even really um, change who their opponent is going to be. They they're going to be playing third. Um, sorry, they're they're going to be playing Brentford, who who can't finish anywhere other than third. So it, it comes down to: do you try and keep momentum up running into the playoffs, or do you rest a few players, knowing that you know, that they are they're twenty one goals. Uh, different to to Bournemouth and eleven goals different to Swansea. So even though Bournemouth could potentially leapfrog Swansea with some kind of mammoth five goal each game swing, you know Barnsley are going to finish sixth, right? So you know does Ishmael maybe rest a few players and be as fresh as possible, or or do you think we might see a Barnsley trying to go full force on on Saturday? I think the temptation, the sort of standard operating procedure, is to rest players, but I don't I don't really agree with that, and I don't think that's the Farker way either he thinks that winning teams keep winning and I think that's what I'd do if I was the Barnsley boss um they should try and keep the momentum up they should keep playing how they want to play in in the playoffs and uh, why take your foot off the gas but I think it wouldn't surprise me if they rested a few players that's sort of the standard uh way that managers go I just I just don't agree with it personally but I also I, I just got all of the goodwill in the world for Barnsley. I think they've been fantastic this season. I think they play football a really, really nice way. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them because I uh, lived for in Sheffield for a few years. So I went to the Norwich games um, when I lived there and it's a really nice place to go. Um, the football ground that is. And um, I, I, I just, you know, not just because they would be whipping boys in the Premier League, but also because I think the Premier League deserves and needs more unfashionable teams. And so I've got a soft spot for Brentford as well, but I do hope that Barnsley go on and um, and get promoted. I'd love us to get 99 points. I'm not recommending that Norwich lose to give them the momentum boost, but um, I, I do hope that they um, they go all the way. Well, it's interesting you say that because Ishmael did, did make a big deal. He, um, according to the Yorkshire Post, he issued a, a warning to the Barnsley players because they dropped their performance a bit after, you know, getting the job nearly done. Um, the form has faltered, which you know, is always likely after a really, really long run, um, as I said, of the, the Brentford run when that was going on. Um, and they've got, uh, you know, they, they've got, they then gone and lost to, Brest, to Preston 2-0 at the weekend as well. So whilst he was saying he was going to go all in and we were going to try and use it from, to build momentum, part of me thinks maybe you, you deliberately drop a couple of players to to make sure it doesn't look like you've lost again in your with your best 
you know full strength team but but we'll see we, we, we can't really tell um, I'd like to do some predictions though so Hannah uh, what is the score going to be in the final game of Champions Norwich City season I'm going to go for a classic 2-1 to Norwich City uh, and please define classic classic in terms of this season or classic <laughs> in terms in, of Pookie scoring both of in, them no as in this season that's been our sort of go-to scoreline or, or I feel like it was in that um, period when we won what was it nine games or whatever in a row um, and I just yeah I just think I think Barnsley will score um, but I think we'll just we'll want to get over the line again we'll step it up um, and we'll do it that's my prediction Interesting you say about the you're making a reference to us only winning by one goal a lot. I saw a stat today that they um Norwich have won by um this is the fewest point uh, goals to points ratios on the athletic. I saw it. Um so um the you know, in terms of how many goals we've scored and then how many points we've actually ended up with at the end of the season. If you go back to the other title winning and promotion winning seasons, you know, we've only scored seventy three. Um, compared to some other, you know, bigger scoring um, time. So, um, what about you, Punt? What are you saying this this, this weekend? Um, I think I'll go slightly more optimistic than Hannah. I'll go for a three-one. Um, I think she. I think you're right, Hannah. Barnsley will score, and inevitably it might be Carlton Morris off the bench to um, to get what will clearly be a consolation. And um, I'd like to think Mario Vrancic will make an appearance and score an absolute perler just to round off his Norwich career. And what about you, Matthew? I think it'll be a relaxing, enjoyable summer day 2-2 draw. Oh, that'd be nice. Um, I think that uh, Carl Morris is going to start um, because that's what I would do uh, if I was... Um, if I was Ishmael, I, I would start him and say, "Look, come on, prove a point that you're you, you're good enough, and that's why you you know to to be playing in this team that that you know ended up putting you to someone who's ended up you know kicking on and playing playing playoff football." I mean, I'm I'm just before we we leave that point, I'm really looking forward to the playoffs this season. I, I think. Um, genuinely more than I can remember, actually, even, you know, including the, the, the seasons that we've been in there and not having, because we've spent such time in proximity to Brentford, Swansea and, and Bournemouth, you know, th- that, that cluster of teams seems to have stayed the same for such a long period of time around the top. Um, and then obviously knowing the meteoric rise that, that Barnsley had and the story that they are, like I touched on what you said, Matthew, the kind of un, un, unlikely lads, and um, I think they are—they are some absolutely mouth-watering championship um, playoff finals, sort of semi-finals and, and final this this season. So, I really hope they live up to it. Um, to be very, very interesting. So, maybe if, maybe a Brentford Swansea final where they get sort of six penalties each, uh, <laughs> like break some kind of record. Um, right. Okay. So. That takes us to um, our favourite Mario and Teddy moments because we're expecting this to be to be the end for, for them both in an Orange City shirt. So let's start with you, Hannah. Um, give us a give us one Alex and one Mario uh, moment that will live long in your memory. Ooh, well, I'm glad I get to go first, um, so no one else can pinch mine. Um, I was thinking while well, I was thinking about Teddy. Um, and I was thinking about the game. I couldn't quite remember which game it was, um, so I had to look it up. But it was um, Preston at the beginning of um, the eighteen nineteen season. It was our first win, 
Um, and he scored that amazing left-footed, I think it was, yeah. sort of long-range classic, absolutely quintessential uh, Alex Tetty Topuk. Um and then came out afterwards and basically said how how rubbish he had been, um, <laughs> and just had a, just you know completely tore his performance to, to shreds. I was like, oh, so bad. Uh, and I and I just loved that. You know, I think that I mean the goal, like I said, just just sums him up. And I was watching the highlights, and actually there was a moment just before that where he has another long range shot, and you hear the crowd doing the classic shoot, and he misses, and and then <laughs> literally a minute or a couple of minutes later. Um, it happens again, uh, and uh, and that one did fly into the net. And I, I don't know, I just enjoyed that, all of that. And then, um, yeah, and then just him coming up, and he whips his top off in the celebration, and oh, it was just just so good. But yeah, and then after his his, his post match interview, I just I remember that as as being, you know, he's just so he's so honest, and he's so um, sort of self aware uh, and and self deprecating. I think you know, I'm sure it wasn't. I can't actually remember whether he had a terrible game that game but um I'm sure it wasn't as bad as he was saying it was and uh I don't know I just think it summed up kind of Teddy um Teddy the player and Teddy the the man as well so that's that's my uh favorite Teddy memory and then Mario I mean that's a tricky one I was at um I was at the Blackburn match when he scored that just absolute screamer beauty. um Oh, so that's got to be up there. I was right behind the goal as well, like the perfect angle. Um, so that was good. But I also want to, because I feel like this would just get lost in the in the in the mists of time. But the his assist that that wasn't against Spurs. Yes, that Puky goal. I was there for that as well. And it's just, I mean, that's a it's just a crying shame. That was one of the the great cruelties of that being ruled out for offside was that that won't won't be registered as an assist because. It absolutely should have been. I mean, it was ridiculous. I maintain part. that that would have been one of our that would be top three Premier League goals of the seat goals ever. The, yeah, the, the, the way the easily. whip on it and the finish, it, it was incredible. Matthew, I mean, Hannah went first, so nicked uh, Mario Blackburn. I mean, it wasn't so much the the goal, although it was a beauty. It was just he, he by scoring that he associated himself with that night which was incredibly special and um i think summed up his his contribution in that season but i mean for me tetty is head and shoulders above i mean almost any player of the last 15 20 years uh, he's just been an incredible servant for the club and also um encapsulated the kind of club i want us to be um so f- for me tetty leaving is going to be that much more uh, tough. The two moments stand out for me. I'll, I'll pick two, so I know I was supposed to pick one, so I'll be quick. But the the first one was um, his goal against Sunderland. I was watching that in a in a pub. I lived abroad for ten years and watched that in a pub. And when you watch Norwich City uh, overseas, you're almost always the only person in the pub watching the 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 Norwich game. And when he scored that goal. Uh, you know, I just completely lost my mind and you sort of come around after about 30 seconds of complete delirium and you see half a dozen bemused yanks looking at you like you've well I had lost my mind so fair enough um so that will always stick in my mind and um the the other the other one is not from a game I actually met um Teti um when the club was on the US um pre-season tour <laughs> They did a they did a kind of um, an open training at the Portland Timbers, which I'd flown to, even though flying from where I lived in New York was 
the same distance to Portland as it was as if I'd flown to Norwich. But I flew to watch them in Portland and um, they had this open training and you could go onto the field and talk to the players after the, afterwards. And I spent a lot of time working. In, I worked in Norway for a bit and spent some time in Teti's hometown of Trondheim. And I went up to him and said, you know, I, you know I've played on the field where you, where you were a youth town you know, um, a youth player, expecting him to be like, well, there's a connection. This is a surreal Norwich fan, this weird moment. He looked at me as if he couldn't give two shits. He, he just looked at me like, what on earth are you talking? I don't care. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> um, I felt very, very, very small. But he was very nice about it still. But yeah, those are the two moments that stand up for me. Okay. Punt, have you got your tissues ready? Give us your memories. Oh, I'm going to try and be strong about this. I think there's... um. There's a couple of Mario, uh, Mario memories and there's a couple of Tets memories, but I will I will um, make sure that I I keep them to to one each. Tets is it's the delirium. So Millwall at home, we win four three eighteen nineteen, and clearly any footballer is just going to want to bundle their mates. You know, as that that goal's been scored and and you know we've definitely won that match. It's so late in the game, you know, Pookie's kind of it's deflected off him, and it's just I mean. Carrot Road is as loud as as pro- probably it's ever been for that particular game, and so you know all footballers gravitate towards each other in those moments. But not Alex Tetty. Alex Tetty just chooses to kind of stand there to the side and just I'll just have a little jig. I just thought that is absolutely Alex Tetty. You know, kind of summed up one hundred percent. So I love him for that. Um, Mario is perhaps more of a personal memory, and it, it speaks maybe to his redemption story with the, the Norwich City fans so you know when, when we um, first signed him there was a lot of, of fanfare about it and he seemed to be the stellar signing that summer and I think with that came a little bit of pressure and he clearly physically he wasn't as attuned to the league as he as he should have been and but it's really obvious and we've talked about it if people really were, were really really bored and wanted to go over the back catalogue of long come Norwich podcasts there was many debates about the virtues of Mario Vrancic in that first season um, but every game without fail I would walk home back to the car and I would always see this old boy outside the pub that I've known for years so he, he stands outside the King's Arms and he'd go hello John how you doing you alright what do you reckon in the match and I'd go oh yeah not too bad Kev yeah, yeah we did did quite well, we're getting there. And invariably, his response was, well, that Mario Ranch is fucking rubbish, isn't he? And, <laughs> and then there was, a, there was a game, and I can't even remember what game it was. And he just, he went, yeah, Mario did all right, didn't he, John? And I was like, yeah, yeah, he did. And, and I, it was, it was if you've won him over, you know, the world is your oyster. And, and from then on, everything seemed right with the world when, when Mario was in it. So, um, yeah, I really liked that. Beautiful memories. Um, I'll take my turn in saying that when it, I'll stay on, on the Mario tip, the uh, the moment when I knew that nothing could go wrong now uh, in the eighteen nineteen season was the the Sheffield Wednesday free kick um, because it was such a I can't remember. I'm, it's been a while since I've watched the the, 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 the review season review DVD. Um, you know, because I watch it, you know, about once a week, but I haven't seen it for a while and. Um, I don't know why it takes so long for him to take that free kick, but it seemed to take such a long time until finally the wall was set and finally he was able to kick it in. And it was just such a palpable sense of, we, we, even though it's only going to be for one point, this point is just so significant. And the coolness to, to finish in that way, 
it was just sublime and and that was part of a, a really special series of home games where you know there was just sort of late snatches but for me that that one was right up there and i think some of the other late comebacks and winners and things and equalizers got slightly more plaudits than than just how much that was genuinely it wasn't you know O'Neill with Forrest and Pookie with Millwall and you know they were great team goals and you know it was the yellow wave coming again and again and again but that was just this is all on you Mario like 27 and a half thousand people are just looking at you you have got to get this right and then and it changes everyone's mood and so so you know he's got a pair of cojones that boy so, so that's that's my Mario one and a, a quick a quick one also that the Villa away um you know winner to, to win us the league um, that that was that was wonderful. That was a special away day and a special season. I was delighted to be there to to see that. Um, on on Teddy, rather than a memory, I'll just kind of talk about you know. Um, John talks about going back over old ACNs. Teddy was already kind of a legend by the time we started ACN, but um, Teddy's the reason why um, I love I love being quick to an opinion on on a player, um, but. But no one really, no one really has ever quite so emphatically proven me wrong than, than Alex Tetty. Um, he he wasn't the sort of footballer when he joined Norwich that I tended to root for, um, and typically uh, I would write players off and they would stay written off. Now with Tetty, I couldn't see that his footballing ability was ever going to be up to a level that I was going to kind of warm to him and, and we were starting to play slightly nicer football and he still wasn't quite up to playing spraying the balls around and and you know the fact that it was a bit of a bit of a joking matter amongst the squad at the time I sort of thought oh well I'm kind of vindicated here even the squad you know, think he can't play that that well you know technically although obviously they really really loved his work rate and what he brought to the team and I was maybe too naive to kind of appreciate that and then um he, he, I maintain that he's an example of someone who genuinely you can track his improvement as a footballer, not just how essential he was to the team. I'm not sure there have been many Norwich City players who have played for, you know, we've had young players who have come in and done really well for a year and then improved another year and then moved on on a big fee like your Madisons and your Aarons and what have you. But, you know, over five, six, seven years, to have a player who consistently seemed to get better year on year and then almost seemed to learn how to play in this Farkball style when you thought there's no way Teddy four years ago is, is is playing that football that he played in 1819. There's just no way. The control has improved. His 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 composure on the ball improved. Um, and so he he is now he will now always be you know the Teddy rule will always now apply for me and I'm always going to apply it and I'm going to name it for him on this podcast that whenever we're looking at new signings and we're going to have some new ones this season um, which is going to be very exciting and we'll talk about that next week on the end of season review who we want and who we think might come in we're going to apply the Teddy rule which is even if you've had three or four bad performances even if you've had four or five bad performances there will always be a caveat which is well, if they keep playing this bad, it's going to be hard for, to see their future at Norwich. But we're not going to write a player off because I wrote Alex Tetty off like a moron. And who has had the last laugh there? Well, him with a beautiful smile. And from a, from a, from a memory point of view, it's me, it's Tetty. <laughs>
just I a standing ovation that did just what oh, a beautiful what, beautiful what a boy what a boy that is that moment is me it's teddy it's yeah i must have watched that video when it first came on the socials 400 times <laughs> and so many other people did as well it just summed up the the, the simple simplest like like your like the little jig that he sort of no, i'm just going to go my own way here actually <laughs> i'm going to just do a little dance while you why you know while 14 15 members of the squad do exactly the same thing i'm going to stand here and do a jig likewise i know you can see me i know i don't necessarily look like anyone else in the squad right now you know i'm quite a distinctive face with my big smile and you know my, my love my lovely looks you know, i only look like me really but i'm still going to point out that it's me it's tetty like it's a phone call absolutely love it and um yeah he he's going to be sorely missed It's time for the Along Come Norwich quiz. Uh, Hannah in particular has been revising. Uh, she's actually booked three days annual leave just to prep for this, whereas Matthew has actually carried out a PhD in Along Come Norwich quizzes. He's actually taken out the previous 71 that there have been um, and has been revising. So I'm expecting big, big things. Punt will probably get about two. So Hannah, Punt is going to time you and your minute starts now. Which number, squad number, was Daniel Barden this season? Oh, God, 61. Incorrect. In 1984, who became the second goalkeeper to win the Barry Butler Player of the Season Award? 1980 what? 84. 84. Oh, that's before my time. Um, Gun? No. Who started no. the number 10 role last time we played Barnsley? Um, Mario. Correct. Who used to play their games at Dudley Road? Pass. Which Englishman became Norwich manager for the second time in December 1995? Uh, 1995. Oh, I was a child. I don't know. Pass. Who is the only other Welshman to win the Barry Butler other than Ewan Roberts? Um, oh, Welshman. Fleming was he Welsh? No. Pl- uh, pick a number. <laughs> pick a number that's high for Daniel Barden. Um. Yes. Fifty. Yes. Nineteen. Time. Time. Oh my oh. god! I've top scored. That's two. <laughs> That's my best ever score. Fantastic. So oh god, uh, yes, fifty was Daniel Barden. Um, Nineteen eighty-four. Who was the goalkeeper? Who was the second goalkeeper to win the Barry Butler? It's got to be Chrissy Woods. Yes, Chris sure, Woods. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number three was who started number ten? You got that, Mario. Um, who used to play their games at Dudley Road? No idea. Wolverhampton. West Brom. Close. Oh. Wolverhampton. Um, Wanderers. Uh, the Englishman that became Norwich manager for the second time in December 1995. This is your era, punt, 90s. Mike Walker? Nope. Oh. oh, no, hang on. Is Mike Walker Welsh? John Dean. Uh, Mike Walker is Welsh and John Dean is wrong. It's Gary Megson. Um, the only other Welshman oh, to win the Barry no. Butler other than Ewan. Bowen, Correct. Surely. It is, Mark, it is Mark Bowen Shirley. So two, very, very strong, as you well know, Hannah. That is usually a strong, <laughs> strong call. I'm hoping for a tiebreaker because it's a belter this week. Um, Matthew, your time starts now. Which number did Nyland take when he joined the club this season? 34. Incorrect. Who was the inaugural winner of the player of the season for Norwich? <laughs> Pass. Who was that left back when we last played Barnsley? Pass. 
Who used to play their games at Fellows Park? Huddersfield. Incorrect. Which Englishman became Norwich manager in July 1969? Pass. Uh, who won the Barry Butler in 2006? Uh, 2006. Steen Niedergaard. Uh, no, which number did Nyland take... <laughs> What? When he joined the club, name a number between 10 and 20. Uh, 14. No. Uh, who was the inaugural winner of the player of the season for Norwich? Scored loads of goals. I mean, how long has it been going? Um, time. Okay. Sorry, I was on mute. I called time. Okay. Well, uh, so uh, the number that Nyland took, that is a hard one, admittedly, but all the goalkeeper ones it are 12? hard. It is 12, yeah. Um, the inaugural winner of the player of the season for Norwich, does anyone know that? No idea. Sixties. I just thought you might know it just because it's the, the the very first one. Well, it's Terry because you alleged that I was born then. Yeah, Terry Alcock. No, no, you're in your fifties then. Uh, Terry Alcock. <laughs> yeah, <it> is, <laughs> Who was it left back when we last played Barnsley? Anyone? Sorensen. Sorensen. Yeah, I yeah. said Sorensen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who used to play their home games at Fellows Park? No idea. That's Walsall. Um, Englishman became Norwich manager in ni- July 1969. One of the really good ones. Sir Ron Saunders. It is, it is Sir Ron Saunders. Um, and the Barry Butler in 2006. One of the Doc, worst ones ever to Doc. win it. Yep, Doherty. Yeah. Yeah. Up there with Lee Crofts as an embarrassment. Um, okay, so two is the score that you need to draw with, punt. Um, Do I have to time myself You have to again? time yourself because we are in the COVID times. Your time starts. Now, what number was Oxborough assigned this season? Oh, bloody hell. Um, 38. Correct. In 1981, who became only the second out-and-out striker to win the Barry Butler Award? Sorry, I didn't even hear the in question. 1981, so in 1981, who became the only second out-and-out striker to win the Barry Butler Award? No idea, Pat. Uh, who played alongside Hanley against Barnsley? Um, ben Gibson. Cor- correct. Uh, who used to play their home games at Olive Grove? Pass. I'm never going Which get Scott became Norwich manager in April 1957? Scott, oh Scottish person. It was name wasn't Scott. No, pass. I'll uh, never get that. Who was the older? Who was the oldest ever winner of the Barry Butler Award? Um, Martin Peters. No. In 1981, who became the only the second out and out striker to win the Barry Butler? Um, 81. Joe Royal. Yes. Uh, who used to play their home games at Olive Grove? No. Uh, Never gonna get that pass. Name a Scottish manager from back in the day. Um, I don't. Is this the fifties you're talking 57, about? Fifty-seven. Yeah, he's a pretty famous Scottish manager of Norwich. Oh, I've gone well over time. Like this, I shouldn't tie myself. Okay, so um, you, they, we do qualify for a tiebreaker. You missed a couple of ones that I thought that you would get. So you got um, actually no, you got three because you got thirty-eight and Joe Royal and Gibson. So you got three. I'm so pleased that I got. Well, I think the squad numbers though. I think I've got an unfair advantage because I proofread all of the um, player messages. Uh, okay. Okay, fair so, enough. So you probably should dock me a point for that, I, so that there's a true tiebreaker. I will. So, they've, so I'll, I'll dock you a point and give um, Matthew two, and therefore it's a tiebreaker. Three. So um, <laughs> the home games at Olive Grove was Sheffield Wednesday. Archie McCauley was the Norwich manager oh. in 1957. Uh, and the oldest ever winner of the Barry Butler. I thought this was really easy. Dion. 
Dion, of course. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. about fifty-nine. Martin when he Peters won it. can't have been. Did Martin Peters win it? Yeah, seventy-seven off the top of my head. So how old was he then? I don't know how old he was. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how old he was then. But it says literally in brackets next to Dion, he was the oldest winner because right. he was thirty. He's thirty-nine, I think, when he won it. Um, oh, right. Okay. So the tiebreaker. We're going to do it in the same order we did the quiz. Uh, so Hannah, coming to you first. I want an exact number, please. How many passes did we complete when we beat Barnsley earlier this season? According um, to the one place that I googled it. <laughs> Four hundred ninety-one. Okay, uh, Matthew. An exact number, please. I have no idea. Two hundred and fourteen. Okay, that's not a very good guess. Punt. <laughs> <laughs> I think Anna's is a really good guess and I'm just wondering whether to go above or below her. Um, I will go for 467. It's 572. Hannah is, oh, uh, is victorious. Nice. Um, what I should have done, and I did think about this at the time, I should have given you the number of passes that Barnsley had for like context. Um, and mm-hmm. actually it was it was closer to what you said. They, they were around the 200 mark, Matthew. Um, we, we absolutely passed them off the park, which I expect to happen again on Saturday, which will be the game we'll be reviewing in a few days' time uh, when we also look back with a couple of other chums on the season as a whole thank you very much Matthew for your time this evening I really appreciate your input as ever Hannah and Punt I acknowledge that you exist and I love you dearly thanks so much for listening dear listener one more game to enjoy and we can enjoy it with our feet up knowing that even if we lose 10-0 we are champions mind how you go (laughs) 